0: the truth news network things to trust more than politicians cable company internet speeds stereo equipment out of a white van gas station sushi drinking water from lake erie a weather forecast from al gore things you can trust well let's start with someone immersed in the truth this is tnn the truth news network And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. Well, here's some reality for you. According to the President of the United States, if you're conservative, I mean, you don't have to be a Republican. If you're just conservative, one of those MAGA, ultra MAGA people. In other words, if you disagree with anything Democrats put forward, or the Democrats say, this is the right way The best way for us to go, if you disagree with them, you're automatically a white supremacist. President Biden, he just went scorched earth yesterday. Let me tell you this. He made it very clear to the nation and to the world. He is tired of trying to reach consensus with Republicans on any legislation. And he's taking the gloves off. And what's he going to do? He's just going to shove far-left ideology down the throats of Americans. Yeah, that's the uniter-in-chief. Remember all that? I told you while he was campaigning all of his promises. I want to be the president, not of Democrats, not of Republicans, but I want to be the president of every American. What did he do yesterday? If you disagree with him in any way, he kicked you out of that crowd you're toast. And if he moves forward with what he is saying now that he is going to move forward with, what little bit of um, get along and work together, those things that are necessary to craft legislation and govern the nation, those things are toast. They're gone. And it's solely up to one person to make that decision. Who is that? Joe Biden. Well, good morning, everybody. What a way to start. A really good note to start TNN Live today. (laughs) I don't like it. I hate to talk about it. I don't like to talk about bad things. But when the leader of the free world actually says that, he says that about his political opponents that happen to be, by the way, American citizens that were elected by the people to represent them in his government, And he just basically said, if you don't agree with me, screw you. We're done with you. We're going to do it solo. We're going to just take the reins and do anything and everything we want. Like they're not already doing that. Wow. In just a moment, you're going to hear his exact words from what he said yesterday when he went to Buffalo that kind of illustrates what I just said he's put out there that he's going to do. And it has nothing to do with uniting the nation. It has nothing to do with crafting good laws, amending bad laws like those horrible immigration laws that he was part of passing when he was in the U.S. Senate. Oh, we're not going to mess with those. We're just going to ignore them. And that's what they've done. And we have 2 million, 2 million illegals, breathing air, drinking American water, that we're paying for every part of their lives because he decided unilaterally we're not going to enforce federal immigration laws any longer. If you think it's going to get better anytime soon, I can tell you this. As long as Joe Biden is the president, as long as any Democrat in this administration if it should be Joe steps aside for whatever reason and Kamala Harris takes the seat in the Oval Office, it is going to be nothing but more mass chaos, more illegality, more disinformation, more hatred, and we're going to give you in just a few minutes, the first hour of this show today is full of stuff that you don't want to miss, in addition to hearing from the president and what he had to say to a largely African-American crowd in Buffalo when he went there yesterday. We're going to talk about why he went there and why he hadn't gone to the other mass shooting sites. You're going to hear that from his very own mouth, Senator Tim Scott, an African-American senator from South Carolina. Um, He weighs in on something that most of us missed the other day when Secretary-Treasurer Janet Yellen Testified before Congress and actually read a statement about abortion and what abortion is going to do to the nation if Roe v. Wade is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. This is just craziness. And here we are on Hump Day. This is the day where we're just supposed to breathe easier because we made it halfway through the week already. And we can see the weekend. OMG, what are we going to do this weekend? Well, I can tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to recover from the madness we've dealt with all this week. And I didn't mean to start the show off today just on a down note. I didn't, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And it starts at the top, number one in the world, number one leader of any country on earth. It starts right there. That would be the White House. That would be the Oval Office in the White House. That would be Joe Biden. It starts right there. I don't imagine there are any more than a handful, if that, of people in America today that are cognizant of political issues and all the players and everything going around that doesn't think or feel or expect or suspect that there's something wrong with our leader, that leader that is the leader of the free world, Joe Biden. And when we need an impartial, impartial rendering or philosophy about anything, one of the best places we can go is down under Australia and Sky News.
1: Carol, I absolutely loved your column for its clarity and its honesty. You wrote something is wrong with President Biden and everyone knows it. And yet it seems the overwhelming majority of the mainstream media in the US and around the world pretend that he's cognitively sound.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a really big problem because when the president is unwell, I think it's obvious to everybody, and it creates a very emperor-has-no-clothes situation where we all know what's going on, but nobody's talking about it, and he's parading around you know, with his butt out. So it, it, it's really uh, a complicated problem where the media doesn't want to admit that something is deeply, deeply wrong with the American president, and the rest of us know that there is.
1: Well, we play clips on this program every single week. There's never any shortage of content of Biden's gaffes, his confusion. And as you wrote, we're not talking about just stuttering or misspeaking. At times, he seems completely out of it, confused. Like when he was asked about Title 42, I mean, that was just disturbing that he was mixing up two completely separate issues and talking about them as if they were one.
2: Yeah, and we've seen him do that on a number of different occasions. I think that's why he's kept apart from the media or generally from the microphone. Uh, we don't hear from the president very often. It's very rare that he talks to the American people. It's very rare that he answers questions from the press. Um, and I think all of that is tied into the fact that they're afraid of him making these kinds of gaffes. But the thing is, if if he seemed more with it, we would just kind of talk it up to like, oh, uh, he misspoke. But because he's seems so confused and sort of glassy-eyed and not really there, we kind of know that these aren't just basic misspeaks. This isn't a typical, the president just speaks all the time to the media and this time he messed up. It's because he so rarely speaks to the media that we know what a big deal this is.
1: And in your column, you asked the pertinent question that I think a lot of people are asking is, who's really running the show at the White House? We hear the President often make comments about what he's allowed to say and how many questions he's allowed to answer and which particular journos he's allowed to actually call upon. So is, is Joe Biden the President or the people telling him what to do? Are they running the show? Right well that's the question here
2: who's who's really running the show there uh you know he he says things like i'm going to get in trouble if i you know keep speaking or if i call on somebody or <laughs> uh, the idea that the president is going to be getting in trouble with somebody else is concerning to me who who's punishing him who's you know grounding him and not letting him have his you know dessert uh, I, I really don't know <laughs> um but you know he he does say really serious things in these moments um one of the ones that i Off the top of my head, but you know when he said that that Russia needs a regime change, uh, that that was really concerning to a lot of people because you know it, it was sort of an off the cuff comment. It seemed like he definitely believed it, and then the White House had to dial it back all the while pretending that they weren't dialing it back. Like, oh no, this isn't a big deal that he said this, but also he didn't say that.
1: Well, on that particular trip, when he said that, and that was that was a trip to Europe, there were three significant gaffes that the White yeah. House had to correct, and that was serious stuff. You know, he was completely reckless out there because he was saying things right. that could impact
0: this war. I got to be honest with you, this president, our president, and his actions and the way he rolls, with the exception. Of one thing, his demeanor. But all the things he says, all the things he does, it is eerily exactly the same as former President Jimmy Carter did when he was in the White House from 1977 until 2000. Almost exactly. I said 1977 to 2000, I'm sorry, 77 to 1980, 81. All of his stuff that he did, it just didn't make sense. We never could quite get a fix on who was really calling the shots. After all, we knew Jimmy Carter, great Christian man, Sunday school teacher, a peanut farmer in Georgia who ended up being Georgia governor, gets elected to be president, and then he just began to do the same kind of things exactly like this president is doing. In just a few minutes, listen, we've got so much to cover this morning. We're going to listen to the president of the United States for a segment of that speech that he made to those mostly mostly African-American people at that uh, get-together when he went on Air Force One up to Buffalo. And he was comforting the family members of those 10 people who were killed by that white guy. And all but one of the people that were killed was a black person. White guy, shooter, black people killed, you know what the president did. You know what he said. The whole world knows that. Anytime that happens, President Biden always plays the race card, always plays the race card. And here, I'm not even going to give you my synopsis. I'm going to let you in just a moment, listen to the president and listen to what he said. I'm going to let you hear and draw your own conclusions. Let me just tell you this: We've got a lot of stuff going on here. Peter Thiel, have you heard that name? Tucker Carlson, of course you have. Donald Trump, yep, yeah. Donald Trump, absolutely. This trio of American nationalists has a combined influence over American politics that's triggering a nightmare for Democrats this year. It really is those people, Peter Thiel. Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump, the midterms are just around the corner. Republicans look like they're going to pick up massive victories in the House and the U.S. Senate as the nationalist movement that's led by the trio, Thiel, Carlson, and Trump, focuses on the failures of the Democrats' first two years of controlling all three branches of government. The new right, it's actually shown up, and it's got a name. And it's not the ultra-MAGA folks that Joe Biden calls every conservative. The new right is a national conservative movement. What does it do? It works to counter the progressive policy with trade protection, immigration restriction, foreign policy restraint, and a return to go back to something that worked, and it'll work again. It's worked in every part of American history when it's ever been put in place. What is that? Social conservatism. A writer who I like a lot, James Pogue, he summarized the new right for Vanity Fair of all news outlets back in April, calling the new right a different strain of conservative politics that is not a part of the typical conservative movement. The podcasters, the broish anonymous folks, Twitter posters, online philosophers, artists in this world are variously known as dissidents and neo reactionaries, post leftists, or the heterodox fringe though they're all often grouped for convenience under the heading of America's new right. Polk said it's better described as a tangled set of frameworks for critiquing the systems of power and propaganda than most people reading this probably think of as the way the world is. And he said at one point, one point alone shapes all of it. It is a project to overthrow the thrust of progress, at least such as liberals understand the word. Now, the new rights leadership, the three Ts. They're not hard to spot. The most powerful men in today's Republican Party are the three Ts, Trump, Tucker, and Thiel. That's according to Bill Kristol. Now, Bill Kristol, years ago, you may remember, he was a Fox News guy. He was one that was brought in that was supposed to be a moderate Democrat. You know, one of those right down the middle. uh, They could go both ways on abortion. They could go both ways on taxes. All those kind of things. They were moderates. Well, just before Donald Trump was elected in 2016, Bill Kristol showed the world exactly what he is. He was a far and is a far leftist cloaking himself in moderate clothes. Crystal's after the three T's. So, Thiel. Thiel. Who is he? Well, he's got a lot of money. A whole lot of money. He's a Silicon Valley billionaire. Peter Thiel. He plays the part of the new rights financier. He helped fund the 2021 National Conservatism Conference, several political campaigns, including, by the way, J.D. Vance's very high-profile win in the Ohio Senate GOP primary, and multiple conservative pundits. The guys on the other side, the left, they're worried that Thiel's financial backing, along with the millions of dollars that Republicans raise through small donations, the new right's talking point is going to become mainstream, and they are dying about this. Polk said this, what sets Mr. Thiel's spending apart, though, is its focus on hard-right candidates who traffic in the conspiracy theories espoused by Donald Trump and who cast themselves as rebels determined to overthrow the Republican establishment and even the broader American political order. That was published, by the way. He purportedly said it, but it was published in the New York Times. These campaigns have raised millions in smaller dollar donations, but Mr. Thiel's wealth could accelerate the shift of views once considered fringe to the mainstream. Oh my gosh, God forbid that the heart of the nation, the people decide that they like conservatism, they want conservatism, and they're willing to vote for conservatism. They can't let that happen. The left attack steals money, just like the attacks on Tucker Carlson's message and Trump's platform. Anybody who dares confront the left with uncomfortable realities, they're automatically deemed a threat to democracy. Here's an example uh, from Lee Drutman, When you have a funder who is actively elevating candidates who are denying the legitimacy of elections, that is a direct assault on the foundation of democracy. New America senior fellow, Lee Drutman, he told that in an interview with the New York Times and they published it. So then there's the Donald, the orange man. Trump has a lot to be proud of when it comes to the positive effect of his political endorsements. Of course, it won't surprise you. He said this, quote, I'm the king of endorsements. He said that to the Washington Post on April 6th. Only one of Trump's 47 endorsed candidates lost their primary race until this week's primaries. And now he's up, he's lost two, but he's up, I think, to 75. 75 wins with two losses. I don't know what world you live in but that sounds to me like somebody's got their pulse on the people's ideas for leadership. Despite Thiel's significant financial assistance to his campaign, J.D. Vance in Ohio, he was hovering down around third or fourth place in the Ohio Senate GOP primary polls. But when Trump endorsed him, Vance won his race with a little over 30% of the vote. Outside of Vance, Trump's other Ohio endorsements also took home primary race winners. Former Trump aide Max Miller, Madison Gilbert, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, Republican Ohio Representative Troy Balderson. Others won their races with big margins, too. So here comes CNN. You know, broadcasts, they're not broadcast; they're cable. Cable news drive-by shooters. CNN opinion writer Paul Schrakick said that Trump's Ohio primary wins prove his endorsement power is here to stay among Republican voters. Although newspapers still endorse candidates, especially for Republican voters, they seem to no longer be a trusted source. Many of these voters do, however, trust Donald Trump. That's what Schrakich wrote. It appears for Republican candidates a Trump endorsement is worth its weight and political gold. I think facts verify that. Just saying. I'm not an expert. (laughs) I'm just an average American guy who looks at both sides of every political issue and has an opinion. But the opinion I have is based on facts, as have been verified by me. And then who's the third T? Tucker Carlson. He has the most-watched cable TV show in history. His audience tunes in by the millions every night just to hear him take down the establishment elites who sell our American dream to the highest bidder. And it doesn't matter if those elites are Republicans or Democrats or somewhere in between or way out on either side. These millions in his audience also pay attention to the political candidates that Tucker invites onto his show. The New York Times called the debut of those candidates the rise of the Tucker Carlson politician. His support for J.D. Vance was evident on his show, where he made a public appeal for voters to turn out for Vance in the Republican primary. We don't endorse a lot of candidates on this show, he said, or get even too close to politicians because, honestly, most of them are really disappointing. He said that on May 2nd. They say they're going to do one thing, they do another. But every once in a while, you run into somebody who could actually change things. And you know that person could change things because all the right people are hysterical, literally hysterical, about the idea of him advancing to the United States Senate That would be J.D. Vance, and he's running for Senate from Ohio. Luke Thompson. Luke Thompson ran the famous Vance Super PAC, funded in large part by Peter Thiel. He said Vance's 15 appearances on Tucker's show during the primary gave him an audience of voters to engage with. Engage with engage with let me tell you the, the the big conundrum that democrats have just lost they either are too stupid to understand it or they decided it was insignificant and it wasn't worth the time and trouble what is that to connect with voters i don't care who you are i don't care where you live i don't care what your skin color is what religion you are how much money you make i don't care about any of that If you're an American and you're a voter, you either are or you should be watching everything to do with elections, beginning at even prior to the primary elections. Why is that? Never before in your lifetime will the United States government make even close to 50% of the impact it's going to make in your life over the next two or three years and that's going to be determined solely by who gets elected and who's kicked out in the midterms. Thompson told the New York Times about this, Luke Thompson. He's the guy that ran the Vance Super PAC. Tucker was really, really important. It meant that our guy had a platform to go and talk to primary voters in Ohio. You got that? Go talk to primary voters in Ohio and small-dollar donors Nationwide, It's usually the other way around. If you're a Democrat, these massive super PACs that are funded by people like George Soros, Mark Zuckerberg, and his wife, those are national people. And they'll look at an Ohio race, or as they did in the 2020 election, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, and they'll spend their money there, their millions there. And then the hope is that for in the states where these people are running for office, that people there will chip in with small dollars. Tucker speaks to a group of small-dollar people, and millions of them. And they're all involved. The power these three men have with members of the new right, it will possibly give the Republican Party considerable gains in the November 2022 midterms. Voters have noticed Oh my gosh, I can't believe that anybody would even admit that there are failures of the Biden administration. But these voters, the new right voters, they watch it. They understand the failures of pretty much everything Joe Biden's put together. And they want to have a check on the inflationary spending and the American last policies that are threatening economic collapse. Can you believe a year and a half? After Donald Trump was sitting on top of a U.S. economy that was roaring and all of the fallout from the top down to the bottom, every economic level, everybody saw improvement. Prices were down. Inflation was minuscule, if anything. More people employed than ever. More African Americans employed than ever. More women employed than ever. Jobs were everywhere. And people were going to work. A year and a half ago, that's what we had. And look at the Biden world. Let me just say this, and I'll shut up on this point. If Democrats want to win in November and again in 2024, they got a plan. They got to do something to take down Thiel, Trump, and Tucker Carlson. Those three guys have become the voice of the heart of American conservatives and nothing these other people can do you know those people called Democrats nothing is going to change the voices of those three people and the millions of Americans that they reach out to not kidding that's a fact hey listen speaking of Joe Biden Why don't we let him weigh in? I want you to see your president in all of his glory and splendor and watch and listen. Well, you can't watch. It's an audio podcast, Dan. I want you to listen to what he has to say about you. He's up next.
3: I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do.
4: Can do the same,
3: Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic DSSV shocks. So it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Yeah. Oh, blaze brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97?
4: Still one our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies. Not even the one through it together. Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped
3: us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze, Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? <laughs>
4: remember
3: when you bought your first house? <sighs>
4: Those
3: are good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! (laughs)
0: Left Left versus right,
5: Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. Which side do you take? The side of the truth on
0: TNN, truthnewsnet.org. News Network. That's interesting, Pete Moss. The verbiage in that bump you just heard coming back in taking sides, taking sides. Let me just say this. We try here at Truth News Network, especially on our podcast, TNN Live, we try to paint both sides and we try to paint them factually and then trust you to make your own decisions. And I know we have a lot of non conservatives that listen to this show. I get some emails uh, on stories that get uh, posted often. We get negative emails and comments. Just so you know, when someone, when you see a a comment that is allowed to go live at truthnewsnet.org on a story, it's because we've okayed it. We have to okay everyone before it goes up. Why do you do that, Dan? You're just a censor. You don't want the negative stuff to go out. No, what I don't want to go out is four-letter words. Um, very stupid responses sometimes we do allow comments that are factually based and are not emotional and they're not attacking individuals on a personal level. That's not what it's about, but let me tell you what it is about. It's about the truth period. It's about the truth. I hate the politicization of everything in our lives. I hate the fact that politicians weaponize anything that just might be negative. If they see a way that they can use it to go after a political opponent, oh my gosh, they're all over it. Like ducks on a June bug in June. They go crazy. Ha ha ha, we see a crack, we can attack them right there. Forget about the truth. What's the truth? Ask a Democrat. They'll say, well... What did the Democrat in the issue, what did they say was the truth? If they said it, then that's the truth. The left are intellectually starved. They are, and that doesn't mean stupid. They refuse to examine, to look at, to listen to, analyze, and come up with on their own. What is factual about all this stuff? I'm, let me tell you something nobody's talking about. Democrats in wholesale numbers are jumping ship. Probably half of those are going to, to the middle, independents, and the rest are going to the Republican Party. Democrats don't want to talk about that. That's another big reason why we're having quarter of a million people from other countries, illegals, coming in our nation across the southern border and these democrats if they can maintain power even if they lose it in the midterms and can in any way come back and get it later 2024 2026 or whenever they are going to find a way to give every one of these illegals to shortcut the u.s constitution to shortcut federal duly passed by congress both houses immigration laws that most of these people that are fighting against this now were part of crafting those laws, but they don't like the laws. And they don't want to change the laws or do away with them and pass new laws. You know why? Because the American people wouldn't stand for what they want. They want no laws. They want no restraints on what they're doing. So what happened this week, you had the shooting in Buffalo. Ten people were killed. Nine of the people were African American. The shooter was white. He, he was, I guess, technically, by the accepted definition of white supremacist, that's what he was. But that's not why he did what he did. He wasn't a white supremacist because he wanted to be a white supremacist. He was mentally ill. Now, He was mentally ill. He had a history of doing crazy things and threatening to do even bigger and greater crazier things, which is what he did when he went to Buffalo and stormed that supermarket. So let me ask you this. What does the president do every time, whoever's president, when there's a travesty like this, when there's a mass shooting, uh, when there's a tornado, when there's a flood? What does the president do? Waits till... Things kind of settle down because he doesn't want to get in the middle of the chaos until things are kind of on their way to get back to normal. And then he likes to come in and make everybody feel warm and fuzzy, right? Not Joe Biden. Not Joe Biden. He went to Buffalo. Why the heck do you think he went to Buffalo? Have to do with those 10 people that got killed? No, he saw that as a weapon that he could use against his political opponents.
3: Jill and I bring you this message from deep in our nation's soul. In America, evil will not win, I promise you. Hate will not prevail. And white supremacy will not have the last word. For the evil did come to Buffalo. It's come to all too many places. Manifesting gunmen who massacred innocent people in the name of hateful and perverse ideology, rooted in fear and racism. It's taken so much. Ten lives cut short in a grocery store. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. Terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Violence inflicted in the service of hate and the vicious thirst for power that defines one group of people being inherently inferior to any other group. A hate that through the media and politics, the internet has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals into falsely believing that they will be replaced — that's the word — replaced by the other, by people who don't look like them, and who are, therefore, in the perverse ideology that they possess and being fed lesser beings. I and all of you reject the lie. I call on all Americans to reject the lie. And I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit. White supremacy is a poison. It's a poison running through — it really is. Running through our body politic, and it's been allowed to fester and grow right in front of our eyes. No more. I mean, no more. We need to say as clearly and forcefully as we can that the ideology of white supremacy has no place in America. None.
0: White supremacy has no place in America. Why didn't he just say this? Terrorism has no place in America. Taking other people's lives with guns of any kind has no place in America. Breaking federal laws has no place in America. So what you just heard your president say, and he's mine too, Not that I like that, but he is the leader of the free world. He is the elected president of the United States, and I do pray for him every day. He's the captain of the plane, and I want the captain of the plane that I'm sitting on to be successful getting me to where I need to go. So no matter what you think, no matter what your feelings are about this president or any president, don't get caught up in any emotion that turns to anger. When you feel like you're going that way, try this. Just stop and say, forgive me, Lord. You told us to pray for those who were in leadership over us. I pray you'll, you'll honor President Trump. You'll get, now, listen to me. I, I prayed that when Trump was in the White House, for sure. But about Biden, the same thing. Give him the understanding of good and evil and that he needs to do and pursue the good for the American people. Pray for him that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But Joe Biden, folks, I'm just telling you, what you just heard from him, that's not new. He's been preaching that kind of message in the same way for almost 50 years. It's hard to believe, but in the US Senate, he would do the same kinds of thing and he would change speeches. In fact, I believe it was in his second run for the presidency in his campaign, he got busted for plagiarism in like three or four different cases. He got busted for making somebody else's quotes his own and he would replace the people in the illustration that he plagiarized with people in his own family. In political lingo, let me just say this. Joe Biden is a fraud. He is not a leader. He is not an idea guy. He's not a manager. In all of those areas, he's one of the worst we've ever seen. And I can only think of one other that may be at the level that, that he's at. And I'm not even sure that that is the case any longer. That's Jimmy Carter. I mean, if you look at the things that happen in the Carter administration and lay them down on a page next to what's happened in just a year and a half in the Biden administration. Joe Biden has almost done at least the bad stuff that Jimmy Carter did in four years. Joe Biden's been more successful. He's achieved it in a year and a half and he is taking off the gloves. Now back to the beginning of this thing, Joe and Jill going to Buffalo. Obviously, it's a very symbolic thing to do that for the president to go express condolences for the lost loved ones there. Keep though in the back of your mind of the 10 that were murdered, one was white, nine were black. He was speaking to black people. He went there to speak to what he knew we going to be black people. So what are you saying, Dan? I'm telling you, Joe Biden has a very prominent, visible, exposed past of being with and being part of racism. One of his best friends was a former KKK big shot, former Senator Robert Byrd. At Byrd's funeral, Joe Biden eulogized him and said he was a close friend and they'd been together and been close friends for decades. Joe and Robert Byrd, they gee and hawed really well together. What kind of commonality does a real no-color guy you know what that means? Somebody that doesn't see color when they look at anybody. No real, no color guy would ever associate with someone that literally despised and wanted every black person on the planet to be eliminated. That was Robert Berg, U.S. Senator from West Virginia. And by the way, Joe Biden has nothing in his past that documents what he said he was doing in Buffalo yesterday. You know, what are you talking about? This isn't the first time something like this has happened on Joe Biden's watch as president. November last year. Waukesha, Wisconsin. Don't forget about it. What happened there? It was a Christmas parade on Sunday. And at a Christmas parade in downtown Waukesha, Wisconsin, a black man, African-American man, Daryl Edward Brooks Jr. in an SUV killed five people between ages 52 and 81, injured 48 others, including young children, in Waukesha. Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., a black man. The victims? Mr. Wilhelm Hospel. Ms. Virginia Sorensen, Ms. Leanna Owen, Ms. Tamara Durand, and Ms. Jane Coolidge. Five people were murdered. That's what the official cause of death was. Murdered by a guy speeding into the crowd purposely running over those five and 48 others. Joe and Jill didn't go to Waukesha. And to my knowledge, they didn't even send a formal condolences thing from the White House. They may have. Usually when that happens, we get told about it in a press briefing. Jen Psaki never brought that up. But what was brought up wasn't what was really going on. It was about there just being a problem with this guy. This guy had a problem. Daryl Edward Brooks obviously had a problem. Mr. Hospital, Miss Sorensen, Ms. Owen, Ms. Durand, and Miss Coolidge were all white. Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., that killed all five, injured 48 others, was black. You see a connection there? That shooting that happened out in Colorado. Joe didn't go there. Black shooter, white people shot. It's not a big story for a democrat unless a white person who they can label white supremacist. Let me ask you this. Look back over your shoulder over the just the year and a half that Joe Biden's been president. Look at the shootings and killings that have happened across the board. Look at the skin colors. I don't like to do that, but that's exactly what they do purposely. They try to weaponize it. They're frantic. They're going to lose the House of Representatives in November. They're horrified that it looks like they don't even have anybody that could possibly run around or run against a a question mark candidate in 2024. They don't have anybody that's a leader that they have any confidence can win against any Republican. Why is that? They have not yet accepted the fact that Americans, Americans in mass, are rejecting the socialist-slash-authoritarian policies of this administration and the former administrations in which Joe Biden served. Eight years as vice president under Barack Obama. That is in our rearview mirror. Those things in large part did not work. The Joe Biden stuff is not only not working, it's destroying our nation very quickly from the bottom up. The American people, the people that Democrats are saying and supposed to be leading and supporting and caring for, lower-income, lower-middle-income people. They're kicking those people in the teeth every day with their administrative policies, That the ones they implemented, either by legislation or by executive order and the ones they're trying to now like, for instance, as we told you, going into this show, Joe Biden made it clear yesterday. He's tired of working with Republicans in lawmaking and he's not going to do it anymore. He's just going to beat his chest, scream and holler, point, blame, lie and blame everything on earth that happens bad on his political opponents. So you just get ready. You think it's been bad? Between now and November, folks, you're not even going to want to watch a news broadcast. You're not going to want to watch a White House press briefing because what's happening, it's election season. Joe Biden's going to have to go to the press briefings. He's going to have to give press conferences to try to bolster the Democrats that are not looking very good about holding their slim majority in the House of Representatives. And even the Senate, it's not a majority now. Technically it is because it's 50-50 Republican and Democrat. But the president of the Senate is always the vice president. That's Kamala Harris. So she cast a deciding vote. They have right now. Since 2020, November 2020, they have full power over the United States government, the Congress, and the White House, and they're getting nothing done for the American people. Nothing done for the American people. For political perspective and political narrative and political policies that are far left, Joe Biden's batting a 1,000. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is?
3: It's hump day. Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump Day.
4: Get happy. Yeah. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
3: Holidays
6: abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! Staycation. We could share a year.
0: Please, no. We Luckily, yeah. we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made.
3: Moonlight skinny dipping.
1: Mm-hmm. We've booked St. Lucia.
0: Two weeks. Did you?
1: Why didn't we?
4: Ah, clever
0: you. British Airways holidays. At all protected.
4: all-new Infinity QX60. Take on life in style.
0: So what's the new the new weapon of choice for the Democrats. They got a new one. It's got a name. It's called the Great Replacement Theory. Have you heard it yet? Well, it was mentioned yesterday in the aftermath of what happened in Buffalo, and it's been floated around there for a while, but get set. It is now officially in the sheath of President Biden and every other Democrat to use against anybody that's not of their same political ilk. So that racist mass shooter who killed those 10 people wounded three others. He was a white supremacist. There's no doubt about it. He was a white supremacist. He had, and he published, he wrote a hate-filled 180-page screed about why he had committed the shooting. And it was replete with neo-Nazi sentiments. According to the shooter, He had to slaughter innocent black Americans in order to prevent the white population of the U.S. from being crowded out. He said in his writing, We are experiencing an invasion on a level never before seen in history. This is ethnic replacement, this is cultural replacement, this is racial replacement, this is white genocide. That theory of his is generally called, as I told you, the Great Replacement Theory. The theory suggests that a shadowy cabal of elites, mainly Jewish, have deliberately undermined the racial purity of European countries by facilitating mass immigration and race mixing. The shooter deliberately quoted the neo-Nazi slogan, the so-called 14 words, we must secure the Existence of our people and a future for white children. Fourteen words. And he called himself a white supremacist, a neo-Nazi, and an anti-Semite. So among the sources for this morally sick belief system, he cited various internet sources, particularly other mass shooters who released similar manifestos as he did. He did not mention Fox News. He did not mention any mainstream conservative, instead, stating, conservatism is corporatism in disguise. I won't know part of it. So, wait a minute. I thought conservatives were all white supremacists. Well, he's a white supremacist, but he hates conservatism and he's not conservative. In fact, he said, I won't know part of it. What is he? Well, just pull out a picture of. uh, Adolf Hitler, and put them side by side. And I know that the left, the far left, they like to paint the picture of conservatives. The far right and the Republican Party, those conservatives are all Nazis, neo-Nazis. None of this about him mattered at all to anybody in the left-wing press. They immediately determined that the entire conservative movement was somehow guilty for the Buffalo mass shooting. The New York Times headline, quote, Republicans play on fears of great replacement in bid for base voters. In the Washington Post, they couldn't be outdone by the New York Times. They accused Representative Elise Stefanik, who's a Republican from New York, of echoing racist theory allegedly espoused by Buffalo suspects. The New Republic headline, the great replacement theory is just Republican orthodoxy now. So what evidence? What evidence? I read those stories, both of them, all three of them, actually. I read the New Republic headline. What evidence did anybody in the media, New York Times, Washington Post, the New Republic, CNN, MSNBC, because they were all over it saying the same things, What evidence did the media give to the effect that conservatives broadly had espoused the great replacement theory? Now, they did cite the belief among conservatives that the left is generally friendly towards loose immigration in order to move the country in a progressive manner. And to be quite honest with you, Democrats, they they don't even try to hide that. Philip Bump of the Washington Post He stated that nearly half of Republicans believed in the great replacement theory. What's his source? Well, he cited a Pew poll that found that almost half of Republicans, and by the way, more than one in five Democrats, that's 20% plus, believe that, quote, there is a group of people in this country who are trying to replace native-born Americans with immigrants who agree with their political views. Okay, I'm going to read that. (laughs) I'm laughing because of what it says and because that's a poll and the left is using that against the right. Quote, there is a group of people in this country who are trying to replace native-born Americans with immigrants who agree with their political views. Now, that's not a cabal. There is a group. And it's very loosely structured in that regard. And it does have a little bit to do with that replacement thing. But that's just one little bitty thing. Who are those people? American voters. (laughs) American voters, they're looking at the White House, scratching their heads, trying the heck figuring out why the Democrats in power are doing this exact thing. They are trying, this is a quote, trying to replace native-born Americans with immigrants who agree with their political views. And we actually, from a committee hearing last week in the House of Representatives, our congressman, my congressman, Mike Johnson, in that committee hearing confronted one of his compadres in the Democrat Party across the aisle and got her to finally admit why they are actually propping up a open borders policy allowing millions of people to come in here against federal law and her response was and if you want I'll play it again I still have it in the in the catalog of uh, audio sound bites she said we want to get those people registered to vote this of course is not the great replacement Theory the Great Replacement Theory, it has an actual intent, which centers on racial purity rather than the idea that changing demographics have an effect on political orientation. The latter, it's been taken for granted by the left for decades, even though it's largely faulty, as changing Hispanic voting patterns demonstrate, Hispanics that they've been letting in by the millions of, or in large part, in a majority, they're voting conservative. They're not voting for left. In fact, the left has often argued in favor of demographic change turning the country bluer. In 2003, John Judas and Roy Teixeira wrote a book titled The Emerging Democratic Majority, in which they argued that Democrats were building a new electoral coalition, quote, in which white America is supplanted by multi multi-ethnic America. In 2012, Greg Sargent of the Washington Post said this, quote, the story of this election, he's talking about 2012, will be about demographics. Rather than reverting to the older, whiter, more male version of America's electorate, Republicans had hoped for, it continues to be defined by what Brown, Roy, uh, Ron Brownstein has called the Coalition of the Ascendant, minorities, young voters, college-educated whites, particularly women. In 2013, the Center for American Progress stated, quote, supporting real immigration reform that contains a pathway to citizenship for our nation's 11 million undocumented immigrants, which is more like 40 to 50 million. They just don't want you to know that number. A pathway to citizenship for our nation's 11 million undocumented immigrants, he said, is the only way to maintain electoral strength in the future. The goal is obvious here. Conflate Republican positions with white supremacy. Why are you going to do that? You're going to drive a wedge. And why African-American people are still looking at Joe Biden, at Nancy Pelosi, at Chuck Schumer, and all of those pundits out there that are racist themselves, and they're pointing their fingers at everybody on the other side of the aisle, that would be Republicans. Most of, we know, are white. Not all of, and bigger, bigger, larger percentages are becoming African American and Hispanic in the Republican Party, but that doesn't matter. Those facts, they really don't matter. But they somehow have... Convinced minority members, some Asian, some African-American, some Hispanic, convinced those people that they, the Democrat Party, they're the ones that are going to, quote-unquote, save the ethnic minority in the United States. Ben Shapiro, you know him, conservative talk show host. He's a graduate of UCLA and Harvard Law School. He's got a show just like this one, The Ben Shapiro Show, and he's editor-in-chief of DailyWire.com. He's the author of the New York Times bestsellers How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, The Right Side of History, and Bullies. Ben Shapiro, he is the one that came up with the very first replacement theory, great replacement theory synopsis, that really nailed exactly what it is, who created it, and who the heck is using it. And it ain't Republicans. It's Democrats. But yet they have found that at times, if they scream loud enough, if they point fingers at more and more people and call them evil because of their skin color or because of their party affiliation, it somehow will take the light that's shining And exposing the reality of what the Democrats have been doing and what they want to do. They want to turn that light off because what they're doing, they want it done in secret. In secret. We're not through with the race thing yet. Racism is burning this nation apart like it never has before. Those of you that were around in the 60s and you saw the protest, you saw what happened at Kent State when people that were in college there were actually shot and killed by the National Guard because of protests that turned to violence. Those of you that were around for that, and I was one of them, I was young then, I was a teenager, but I saw it, I listened to it and watched, there wasn't any internet but there was news and you could rely on ABC, CBS and NBC to give you far more objective news than we get today. And if we back then knew exactly what was being said and what the, the uh, foundation for a lot of what was reported, we might've found out that those people weren't totally objective. They may have been couching the news that they brought to the nation, based on politics. That's a story for another day. So we have racism at every level. Something happened. you probably heard Janet Lee Yellen, Secretary of the Treasury, uh, she testified, and I can't remember if it was late last week or Monday of this week, but she testified and she talked about abortion. It was about abortion. And, of course, she's a financial genius guru, and I'm saying that because that's what a lot of people think she is, but she's nothing but a hard, hard, hardcore leftist that has found a little niche that she can plug into and make herself tons of money. She served in the Obama administration, and when she left the Obama administration, she got jobs that were paying her to go speak Three, four, five hundred thousand dollars of $500,000 a speech. Why? Because she was a Democrat. She was in the Obama administration. And she knew everything about dollars and cents as it pertains, not to America, not to Americans, but to the elites in America that are really interested on finding ways to weaponize tools against their political opponents while at the same time putting dollars and cents in their pockets. Tim Scott from South Carolina, I told you we were going to hear from him. These two are interrelated. First, I want you to listen to the secretary, Janet Yellen, about abortion and what she says abortion is going to do if the Supreme Court overrules it, Roe v. Wade.
5: So, Secretary Yellen, uh, if the draft of the court's majority holding in Roe v. Wade is the actual decision. What impact will the loss of abortion access mean economically for women?
7: Well, I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would have very damaging effects um, on the economy and would set women back decades. Roe v. Wade in access to reproductive health care, including abortion, helped lead to increased labor force participation. It enabled uh, many women to finish school. That increased their earning potential. It allowed women to plan and balance their families and careers. And research also shows that it had a favorable impact on the well-being and earnings um, of, of children. Um, there are many research studies that have been done um, over the years looking at the economic mm-hmm. impacts of access or lack thereof to abortion and it makes clear that denying women access to abortion increase their odds of living in poverty
0: uh, I can't believe she said that if you take abortion away from women and in- low income. She didn't use that term, but that's who she was speaking about, speaking about African American principally, that abortion has given them opportunity. They can go into the marketplace. They can plan. They can do all these kinds of things. And of course, she's secretary of the treasury, so all of her stuff is geared around dollars and cents. And, of course, she is a quote-unquote expert on anything and everything to do financially. She's not African-American. She is female. She's not poor. She's not a member of any minority because women certainly aren't a minority. They're actually the majority in the United States. So what expertise does she have to identify this particular thing about abortion and what it is going to do? I will say this. I watched the video of the audio bite that you just heard, the words in which you just heard, and on video she was reading everything she said. In other words, it was scripted. It was planned. There was no, oh, I uh I didn't think about that, Mr. Congressman. Uh let me think about it for a minute. It wasn't any of that. It was planned, it was planted, the question, and it was obviously answered by reading a message and an answer to a question and it was built around the justification, the financial justification for killing babies. Now we happened to be watching yesterday and happened to see South Carolina African American Senator Tim Scott speak about this very thing. He's black. He came from a poor family. He came from a poor neighborhood. He lived in poverty. I think someone like that, even though he's not a female, he had a mom. Well, I'll just shut up. Listen to Tim Scott explain his conundrum with what Janet Yellen had to say.
8: Senator Scott, JOINS ME NOW IN AN EXCLUSIVE INTERVIEW IN FOCUS. FIRST OF ALL, WELCOME. THANK YOU VERY MUCH. AND I WANT TO KNOW WHAT WENT THROUGH YOUR MIND AS SHE WAS SAYING THOSE WORDS. TRANSLATE WHAT YOU HEARD AND WHY YOU FELT Because it was very uncharacteristic to see you at times just lean in so hard. Why did you feel like you needed to do it?
5: I was compelled to do so, to be honest with you. I could not believe my ears. She was responding to a question. So it was completely unprepared, unfiltered. And her response was to, in my opinion, provide a calloused approach and a solution, a remedy for blacks living in poverty being abortion. And... As a guy who was raised by a powerful, positive black woman in poverty, in a single-parent household, I know that sometimes broken places is where you find brilliance. I know that sometimes hard work and dedication and perseverance pays off handsomely. You and I both know that the truth of the story is the American journey continues to evolve in the right direction. Yes. And frankly, even Secretary Yellen's words should have been... THOUGHT THROUGH MUCH BETTER BECAUSE LESS THAN 10% OF THE ABORTIONS ARE TEENAGERS. AND SO TO PUT THE FACE OF, a, of ABORTION BEING POOR WOMEN MAKING A CHOICE SO THEY CAN INCREASE THE LABOR force PARTICIPATION RATE, well, IT'S JUST UNBELIEVABLE.
8: AND WITH WHAT YOU GAVE, THAT STATISTIC, IT WOULD BE YOUNG BLACK GIRLS.
5: I mean, and and now you're telling me that
8: fewer than 10% are even part of
5: what she's describing. The larger picture.
8: I wonder if she knows the facts on that.
5: Well, i got to believe that she did. And unfortunately, it seems like whenever someone needs a poster child of brokenness, Mm. they go to African-Americans, and that's not our story. Our story is a story of victory. Our story is a story of overcoming odds. Our story is, frankly, triumphing after tragic circumstances. That's the story of who we are. And it's a story that should be told and should be told as a part of the American story that we as Americans, we are the solution. We shouldn't have fewer Americans. We should have more Americans. You want to increase our labor force participation rate? Choose life.
8: All right. I want to get to this. You wrote in your op-ed about the Treasury Secretary. Here's a quote. We live in a world where words are too often disconnected from the lived or lived experiences of many Americans. Yellen's cold and robotic reference to the issue of life is just the latest example of that. What
5: did you mean by that? Well, a couple things. First, when you hear her words and you see my lived experience, you see your lived experience, so many Americans, millions of us started in poverty, frankly, to say 90, 7 percent of those who are rich today were either middle class or in poverty two generations ago. My grandfather was picking cotton. He lived long enough to watch his grandson pick a seat in Congress. That tells me that the wow. story continues. The journey becomes more and more beautiful, more and more amazing. But when you think about the fact that the words that people speak are disconnected from the reality, you, you hear that inflation is good for people living in poverty. Nothing is further from the truth. You know that baby formula is hard to find, but you knew that several months ago and you did nothing with it. It's almost as if the administration wants us to believe what they are saying as opposed to what we are seeing.
8: Yeah. Yeah. Hear the words out of their mouth, not what we see them doing. And Our lived the reality. And by the way, FEMA has back piles of this. They, they, Of course they have a stockpile. If there's a hurricane or a tornado, they, they gotta have baby formula. Absolutely. What if the hospitals run out because, because we have a disaster? I mean, it is mind boggling. That was a good example of that. I wanna get to more of your words. Yes. I don't know in the time that I have covered you as a journalist that I've ever known you to write so passionately. Uh, I want to get to this. You also wrote in your new op-ed in the Washington Post, if abortion is our first and best answer to ensure that women and low-income families can thrive economically, the United States has reached one of its darkest times in our history. Senator.
5: There's no doubt that when you think about those words that she spoke in the truth of our existence, we should be leaning into the solution that is our nation and is the story of American evolution. I certainly believe that hard times produces our best results. That frankly it's Well, wow, that's hard- for everybody. Did you get Amen. that? Yes.
8: THAT'S SO TRUE BECAUSE THERE ARE A LOT OF PEOPLE GOING THROUGH HARD TIMES RIGHT NOW.
5: THAT'S that's JUST There's IT.
8: PARENTS WITH THE, the DEFICIT OF
5: baby, shor- BABY FORMULA SHORTAGE. WE ALWAYS HAVE HARD TIMES. THAT'S JUST THE TRUTH OF OUR EXISTENCE. IT'S ALWAYS TRAGEDY THEN TRIUMPH. IT'S ALWAYS OBSTACLES THEN OPPORTUNITIES. IT'S ALWAYS PROBLEMS THEN PROMISE. AND ONE OF THE THINGS THAT MAKES ME EXCITED ABOUT WHO I AM AND WHERE WE ARE AS A COUNTRY IS THAT THE HARDEST TIMES I'VE LIVED THROUGH made me a better person and made me more compassionate towards others. So I hate to hear that those hard times should be eliminated by eliminating my life. That's a stretch and one that I just have to speak out against.
8: You know, um, when President Trump was in office, you and he worked on opportunity zones, and I, I really got to do the drill down on, on all of that. Yes. Can you explain where we are now? Because there was a lot of money spent. What, what happened to those areas? That it wasn't just people of color. I mean, those benefit. High tide lifts all boats. Absolutely. I mean, those communities were touched by the fact that somebody was focusing in on them.
5: One of the silver linings that we can see now looking back at the pandemic is that pre, pre-pandemic 2019, we saw $29 billion enter into, private sector dollars, by the way, go into the poorest zip codes in America. And because of that, we saw the poverty rate hit the lowest ever recorded in the history of this country. That's the kind of insulation you want going into a pandemic. We saw African-American unemployment below 6% for the first time in the history of the country. We saw wages for the bottom 25% grow faster than the top 20%. 25 percent 25%. So that going into the pandemic actually gave us insulation so that Hmm. confronting with a global pandemic, people without resources had more money, more opportunity than they had seen in their lifetimes. And frankly... WOMEN HAD A 70-YEAR LOW IN UNEMPLOYMENT, WHICH MEANS THAT TRANSLATING INTO THE PANDEMIC, Mm -hmm. WE HAD MORE RESISTANCE THAN WE WOULD HAVE HAD, HAD IT NOT BEEN FOR THE ECONOMIC SUCCESS AND THE POLICIES OF THE TRUMP ADMINISTRATION GOING INTO THAT PANDEMIC. SO WHEN YOU TALK ABOUT THE FRAGILITY OF LIFE AND THE HARSHNESS OF CIRCUMSTANCES LIKE A GLOBAL PANDEMIC, WE SHOULD STAND UP STRAIGHT, PUT OUR SHOULDERS BACK AND BE CONFIDENT THAT WE SHALL SURVIVE THIS TOO not quit in the middle and it's that resiliency that is a part of the dna of america that we should be focusing on
8: wow those are powerful words not quit in the middle some people would say, and, and some of them are even doctors I've interviewed, that with the lockdowns and the increasing sort of pressure on the American people to, to solve the pandemic with their own behavior and not feeding us enough of the true science, that yes. the changes that we were seeing, that that was
5: quitting in the middle. Your last quick word. Well, listen, America's always the solution, not the problem. If we lean in as one American family, we find the greatness that's within us. Unfortunately, pressure typically is necessary to reveal the jewels that we are. And so whether you are talking about African Americans surviving the the, the last few hundred years of American existence and coming out better, whether you're talking about the brokenness of poverty in rural America, whether you're talking about the harshness and the challenges of the pandemic, the one thing we know about the American family, we are better together, we find solutions, and the greatest of our opportunities don't come from Washington, They come from neighborhoods and garages and libraries and apartments where people come up with the most amazing and remarkable results.
8: Amen. Senator Tim Scott, wow, I, I have to say, again, covering you, we haven't seen you lead in like this. You're passionate about this, and America gets to benefit Thank by you. hearing your words and giving us that, that thing that most of us know but we need to be reminded of, that we're so much better than the words of someone who doesn't see our potential.
0: Absolutely. So much better than that. Absolutely, Harris.
8: Senator, thank you for being in focus.
0: Thank you. Put what you just heard in the context of what you heard before that, and that was Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen stating that abortion is a really good way, probably the best way they can come up with, that African-American women can be more Economically successful if they abort their babies. I got to be honest with you. To me, that sounds kind of like um, eugenics, killing those among us who are unable to contribute to our economic livelihood. And chief among those would be, of course, being saddled. By an unwanted baby. No doubt you've
6: heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Barron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items. You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5. Out, save big bucks. And a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Sex. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't. Oh boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's. Airport and South Academy. You love chocolate.
4: Mmm,
6: chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue.
3: My heroes.
6: M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? Yes! And what about this? Ah, yes! Ha! you gotcha there, Thirst! That wasn't sound effects. That was a
5: Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman.
0: CNN The Truth News Network Yeah, we're actually fighting. It is a fight. And we have facts with which to wage that battle. And the other side, they don't have the facts and they basically say, "We don't care about what you say or facts. We believe what we believe and that's the way it is. What we think is the truth." So let me ask you this. Looking at your life today and looking at what it probably is going to be in the first week of November when we have the midterm elections. What going into this election are the most important things for you that you want to get resolved by who you vote for in November? Most people would say, of course, we just heard a big one. Abortion. Oh my gosh, that's got to be at the top, right? Well, it's not. The economy and immigration topped the list of the most important issues for Americans as they head into the midterms. That's according to a University of Massachusetts Amherst survey. The survey asked people that were responding to identify the issue that will be the most important to them when making their candidate decisions in the midterms. Overall, the economy topped the list. It does every time one of these polls are taken. It's always about the money. 32% of all respondents identified the economy as number one. It remains a top issue across party lines as well, as a plurality of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents chose it as the number one issue. Across the board, 13% of respondents chose immigration as the most important issue followed by abortion, health care, and climate change. No other issue garnered double-digit support among all respondents. Democrats, though, they chose climate change as the second most important issue. Immigration also came in second for Republicans. 25% chose the issue as the most important. Behind the economy, 14% of independents chose health care as number one issue, followed by immigration with 13%. These findings coincide with other surveys showing the economy topping the list as the most important issue for voters in determining their vote as they head into the midterms. So what does what you just heard, when you put it out there in the context of what we're dealing with right now, what we're seeing coming from the leadership in America, that's members of the United States Congress, members of the Joe Biden administration, including him, and, of course, the judiciary, all three branches of the government. What are we seeing coming out? We're seeing very little about the the economy. They don't want to talk about the economy. And i got to be honest with you. If I was in charge of the government, I wouldn't be talking about this economy, their economy, because it's terrible. And it's impacting the least income-okay people in the nation the most. Who would that be? Lower middle income people and impoverished people. Why is that? The number one thing. Anytime you have inflation, those low wage income people, those low income people are the ones that are impacted by percentage, the greatest. Think about it. You got a minimum wage job, or maybe you're making $13, 14 $15 an hour. Maybe you're making 25 Maybe you're making $40 an hour. It doesn't matter what you're making. When government policy comes and takes money out of your pocket, the same money that you were using to do the same things a year and a half ago that now in many cases costs twice as much, that is the highest taxation that people in the middle class and below have to deal with. Inflation. And it impacts those people far more than it does high-income people in America. That's just a fact. That's the way it is. So, based on all of that, we haven't talked about the economy today. We haven't talked about inflation. What are the experts saying is around the corner for us? Well, the CEO of Wells Fargo yesterday said there is no question that the U.S. economy is going to get worse before it gets better. Now, he's not a political hack. This is a guy that uh, is the CEO of the biggest bank on earth. It's going to be hard to avoid some kind of recession. His name is Charles Scharf, S-C-H-A-R-F. He's the CEO of Wells Fargo. The Federal Reserve has already raised rates, interest rates, twice so far this year. They're trying to cool the economy to deal with this rampant inflation. Federal data shows that inflation rose 8.3% from April of 21 to April of this year, and that's a 40-year high. With that spike in interest rates and inflation, some experts have questioned whether the U.S. is headed toward a recession. But Scharf, during this event he was speaking at, stressed the recession will likely be only mild, noting that consumers are still spending at healthy levels. The fact that everyone is so strong going into this should hopefully provide a cushion, he said, such that whatever recession there is, if there is one, is short and not all that deep. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said there may be some, quote, pain that is associated with higher interest rates, which would, according to him, and he's an expert, reduce inflation and curb demand. However, he said there is no recession on the horizon saying that strong labor markets and consumer spending are high points. I don't know about that. I don't know whether to agree with them or disagree with them because these are the experts, they're talking about things that they lord over, they manage. And if you're that person and you're on a world, the microphone or television camera, don't you think you would be prone to paint a rosier picture? than the reality, especially when the reality is not very good. I tend to lean that, and that's not a conspiracy. That's just using logic. Something else about inflation, your electric bills. Oh, my gosh, I don't know if yours is bad so far. In the South, we've had early summer, and it's been in the 90 degrees every day the last week or so here in North Louisiana. Jamming up those air conditioning units. That's what we're looking at. But the cost of energy is going up, cooling down the house in the middle of summer heat is going to cost more than usual. The U.S. uh, Energy Information Administration, they've estimated on average there'll be an increase of 4% in the price of electricity for U.S. households during the summer. For the entire summer, they project the average household is expected to spend 1% more for electricity compared the summer last year. The higher price, largely driven by supply and demand. It's capitalism. Particularly with natural gas, which provides 38% of our electricity needs, we've been operating in an environment of constrained supply and higher demand, which means higher prices. When the pandemic hit, prices were low. They stayed low. So there was not much of an incentive to supply more. As the economy opened back up, demand increased, outpaced supplies, Russia's invasion of Ukraine just made things worse. In particular, experts are warning it could be a expensive summer for the Northeast. Anyway, you look at it, <laughs> we're going to pay more. We're going to pay more. And I don't think the midterm elections, that's November, those people won't be taking office until after the first of the year. There aren't going to be policy changes between now and then that are going to make a difference and stop all this economic insanity. Why would I say that? What would I base that on? Just look at what and who is in office and what they're doing. Look at the policies. Look at the legislature, the legislation that's out there wanting to be and already being considered. How much of it is pointed exclusively at what's best for the people? I mean, just a paltry percentage of it. It's more along ideological lines. It's more about propping up political perspectives in heading into November in the midterms. Wow. You realize we're an hour and a half into this show. 29 minutes left to go. We can't get by without talking about the trial. John Durham's trial. It's underway. It started yesterday. A trial in the United States versus Sussman. It started. Michael Sussman, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign attorney, his theory of defense has got some major factual holes in it. Listen to this story. Her campaign, Hillary's campaign, they did not want their attorney, Michael Sussman, to share any of that Alpha Bank data, you know, that Russian bank that the Trump campaign and Donald Trump was supposedly colluding with, and that Mike Sussman talked with the FBI and told him that. Yesterday, jurors were told during the defense's opening arguments that Michael Sussman should not, should not have to reveal those pieces of evidence. But the information known to date, as well as the modus operandi of the Spygate players throughout the years, they peddled the Russia collusion hoax, they rendered that argument laughable. Yesterday, the trial in U.S. v. Sussman began in earnest following a day of jury selection. At issue, what's it all about? The former Clinton campaign attorney lied to former FBI General Counsel James Baker when Sussman, Hillary's attorney, provided him data and white papers showing the existence of a secret communications network between that Russian bank Alpha Bank and Donald Trump. John Durham special counsel John Durham his team claims Sussman lied when he shared the Alpha Bank intelligence saying he wasn't acting on behalf of a client. That was his that was his uh faux pas. He made a mistake. He lied. In fact, Sussman represented both tech executive Rodney Jaffe and Clinton campaign. It's illegal. It's a federal crime to lie to the FBI. They can lie to you, by the way, with impunity, but you can't lie to them and expect to go scot-free. The prosecutor in this case, Britton Shaw, set the stage in front of the jury, telling those 12 and four alternates during opening argument, Sussman's actions were part of a plan to create an October surprise on the eve of a presidential election, and to get the FBI to investigate, arguing the plan largely succeeded. So a little background there. Sussman and Joffe leaked the Alpha Bank allegations to the New York Times. But when that wasn't published immediately, Sussman brought a sense of urgency to the FBI about the media being on the verge of running a story. Quote, according to prosecutors... The FBI getting involved would make the story more attractive to the press, and Sussman's goal was to inject the FBI into a presidential election. Now, that's the prosecution. Sussman's lawyer, Michael Bosworth, of course, he said that's not true. He countered telling the jury in opening argument that his client, Sussman, had a genuine interest in national security and was concerned about the data at a time when questions about Trump's connections to Russia were swirling. They were everywhere. We didn't know what to believe. According to Sussman's legal team, the Clinton campaign planned to take this new weird thing public, and they handed it to the New York Times. That's what the campaign wanted, press coverage that hurt Trump and helped Clinton. The meeting with the FBI is the exact opposite of what the Clinton campaign would have wanted, Bosworth said. Speaking to the jury, of course, the FBI quashed the news story after they learned about it from Sussman. The FBI meeting is something they didn't authorize. They didn't direct him to do, and they didn't want him to do it. Sussman's lawyers argued that. But once the time was ready to publish the material, the New York Times Sussman called Baker to help the FBI and warn them that a story was coming. All the evidence, there's not a single shred of evidence that backs up anything they're claiming. It all suggests otherwise. First, emails between reporters and Peter Frisch, who is a co-founder of the investigative research firm Fusion GPS, that Perkins Coy, that's Sussman's law firm, had hired on behalf of the Clinton campaign indicate the Times was nowhere near ready to publish the material when Sussman handed it off to Baker on September 19, 2016, month and a half before the election. For example, in one thread between Frisch and the Times' Eric Lichblaw, bearing the subject line Alpha and Trump and dated October 5th, the duo were talking about Alpha Bank data published on Reddit, at that point, Fritch is still telling the Times he has no idea where the material came from, but that it's either someone real who has real info or one of the Donald's 400-pounders, whatever that meant. Fritch then adds that the DeVos stuff looks rank to me. That's in reference to the supposed communications between the Michigan Health System's computer and Alpha Bank. And there's more and more to that story. That's the highlights of it. I don't want you to leave, ever leave, and leave information that's important on the table without you hearing about it. We're going to give you any substantive update that happens in this Sussman trial over the next few days. Hopefully, it'll all be resolved by the end of next week. At least get it in the hands of the jury to deliberate and come back with a verdict. And by the way, if Sussman is convicted, there's big financial penalties that go along with that, but he could very well be sentenced to some jail time. Well, probably don't even need to say this, but the far left and media are just going bonkers over everything that's happening around them. It's like the sky is falling. You know who Anna Navarro is? She co-hosts ABC's The View, and she told her co-host that Republican lawmakers, Republican voters, Fox News host, Fox News employees and advertisers are spreading racism. They were discussing the Buffalo supermarket shooting, and she said this. When I heard this news on Saturday, it brought me back to that day in 2019 when another white supremacist, domestic terrorist, racist peep of crap, drove hours and hours and hours to go hunt down Latinos in a Walmart and kill 23 people. It's absolutely the same thing replaying itself over and over again in places that are supposed to be safe in places where we all go. Now we can't go to the supermarket. We can't go to a theater. We can't go to a Walmart. We can't go to church. And she continued, I think it's time to name names and point fingers. Ah, here you go. Here you go. Navarro, Anna Navarro, she's definitely going to point a finger or two. Bump, 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 bump. Tucker Carlson, he's number one. He mentioned the Great Replacement Theory or some version of that more than 400 times on his show since 2016. That's according to the New York Times. Elise Stefanik bought ads on Facebook. And it's not just them. It's the other host of Fox News. It's other Republican leaders, and they need to be called out. And listen, if you're an advertiser, advertising on that station, you are part of the problem. If you sit on the board and are trying to be a civilized person, Paul Ryan, my friends, I'm talking to you, you are part of the problem. If donating to people like Elise Stefanik, you are part of the problem. But she went through. She added this. If you are a staffer working for them, you are part of the problem. If you are voting for them, you are part of the problem. I'll tell you what the great replacement theory should be. We should replace all these people peddling hate and making financial and political gain from spreading racism. We should replace them with the people who hold up American values. That last phrase was hers. It was a quote. We should replace them with the people who hold up American values. That's what they're doing now. Navarro, Anna, that's what they're doing. That's what you're promoting. Holding up American values. In other words, robbing, stealing, taking American values away from the nation. These are people that are on national talk shows. Network talk shows that have million, two million. I don't know what the demographics, the numbers are for her show, The View. It happens in the time of day when I'm usually working, so I'm missing it. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you this. She's getting away with murder, almost literally, and those like her because nobody... In their ilk. Nobody that sits beside them across the table from them will dare disagree with them. There's no conservative voice. There's nobody to even confront Anna Navarro on The View about, hey, give us the evidence that backs up what you're saying. If they did that, of course she couldn't reply because there's no evidence. But having evidence, having facts, it's really not that big a deal to the left now they're content with just screaming louder. Say it fast, say it loud, say it more often. And if you do that, you'll talk that dog into believing that it's a pig and it will even start oinking if you convince them. And that's what the left is doing right now.
3: It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D-Patrick today and check out our entire lineup like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone or the not so compact compact SUV the Tiguan and the always popular Jetta and Poseidon. At D-Patrick we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D-Patrick on Green River Road.
4: I love going
1: all natural It just makes me feel better Nothing between me and my 100% All natural, juicy, grass-fed beef
6: Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food with no antibiotics, no added hormones and no steroids, only at Carl's Jr. Car's all yours. Thanks.
5: Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but
3: shouldn't there be more back and forth?
5: You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. (laughs) It's a puppy. Not a puppy.
8: A wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother.
3: Good. Yeah,
6: we're good. Yep. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama.
0: Wow. That election. You know, we had all these primary elections yesterday across the nation. Some really pivotal ones. I mean, Pennsylvania's got some big ones. U.S. Senate the Republican primary, two really good people, Dr. Oz and McCormick ran a great race and it's not over yet. looks like it may be headed toward a recount. Dr. Oz finished last night. There's still a bunch of mail-in ballots that are out that are being counted today. Hopefully by the end of the day, we'll have a number. It's going to go, if in any election in Pennsylvania, if the margin of victory is half a point or less, it's going to be automatically um, a recount. So it looks like they're headed into that. It may be next week before we have an enlist. Pray it's not. And that's probably the biggest race that happened. And these guys and their um, campaign contributors, they each spent eight figure money advertising promotions in their campaign. Eight figures. You know what that is? That's $10 million or more in a primary. That's incredible. I don't think that's ever happened. But it is happening. We haven't said anything in a couple of days about Elon Musk. But something popped up, put him back on the radar screen, and it had nothing to do with him specifically. James O'Keefe. Project Veritas, you, we, we play him and some of their investigative audio pretty regularly. They recently published undercover footage of a Twitter employee admitting that the platform's woke ideology is why the company is not profitable. And everybody thinks Twitter is profitable. It's really not. That employee also mocked Elon Musk as special needs because he has Asperger's syndrome. Twitter lead client partner, that's Alex Martinez, in this video that Project Veritas has, he can be seen discussing how the social media giant's ideology led it to being less profitable. Martinez further denigrated Elon Musk, calling him loony and mocking the fact that Musk has Asperger's syndrome. In the video, Martinez heavily criticizes Musk's stated beliefs on free speech and his hopes to make Twitter more open and more accepting of other beliefs. Martinez said, The rest of us who have been here believe in something that's good for the planet and not just to give people free speech. And in a discussion about censorship on Twitter, Martinez stated, people don't know how to make a rational decision if you don't put out correct things that are supposed to be out in the public, right? Martinez notes, it appears Musk wants to alter or remove many of Twitter's current rules, which could in turn make the company more money. If we're implementing all these rules and Elon wants to dismantle them, then technically our ideology has led us to not making money because we're not making money. And Elon wants to turn it the other way so that we can make money. He then accused Musk of being mentally unsound due to having Asperger's syndrome, stating he has Asperger's, adding, so he's special. And he said later, we all know that, and that's fine. So here, no one's going to say some effing crazy S-H-I-T simply because he's special and just so you know this, Musk just revealed that he was the first person with Asperger's syndrome to host Saturday Night Live. Asperger's syndrome is no longer officially diagnosed and is accepted as part of a number of conditions known as Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD. In the video, Martinez added this. I'm like, you're special needs. You're literally special needs. Literally, though, you really are so I can't even take what you're saying seriously because you're special. (laughs) And as you can imagine, Musk himself commented in a brief tweet. Benny Johnson said this. Twitter executive calling Elon Musk mentally handicapped special and saying he has Asperger's. This Twitter exec goes on to say that Twitter is not here to give people free speech. Ad Elon Musk is going to want to see this one too, and so Elon responded. He tweeted this: quote, "Twitter exec track, trashing free speech and mocking people with Aspergers." Dot dot dot. Hmm. How about that one? Elon Musk, richest man on earth has Asperger's syndrome. I think he's probably uh, overcome that debilitation. What do you think? <laughs> he, he's done a pretty good job, even if he is a special person. So we're keeping tabs on pulling back the cover on all things to do with Black Lives Matter. The revelations keep popping out almost daily. Black Lives Matter, started by organizers of the Black Lives Matter movement, spent more than $1.2 bucks lobbying members of Congress last year, including a push to impeach former President Donald Trump a second time. And they obviously were successful. This is coming from tax filings. The Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation yesterday released a 63-page Form 990 that covers the fiscal year from July 1st of 2020 to June 30th of 2021, at which point the group had $42 million in net assets. That IRS filing shows the group's lobbying spending was devoted in part to lobby members of Congress to vote in favor of impeachment. Trump was impeached by the House a second time on January 13th of 2021, That was a week before his term expired, and he was charged with being involved in the U.S. Capitol riot. He was acquitted in a Senate trial. Other lobbying priorities by Black Lives Matter listed in this new tax filing included campaigning against the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which BLM organizers argue did not go far enough in reforming policing. The group also lobbied for more Sweeping Breath or Breathe Act, which would abolish the DEA and in life sentences. So far, neither bill has passed both chambers of Congress. Now, when I gave you that information, I'm sure some of you said, that stuff will never fly. They'll never get this done. What are they trying to do? They're wasting all this money. Well, don't sell them short. If somebody had told me that Black Lives Matter, based upon their very public operations and what they have to do with and how they function and what they say, if you told me that American corporations and big, wealthy Americans were going to donate $200 million to Black Lives Matter, I would have laughed at you. I'd have laughed in your face. And yet that happened. How much of it is left, we're not for sure yet. But we do know a bunch of it has been wasted, but even more than that, a bunches have been used for personal stuff, like buying mansions, hiring relatives as employees that really aren't doing anything. Now, let me just say this, and I'm probably going to be accused of a racist for saying this, but if you roll the dice today and it came up that they were going to get away with it, you would probably say, Yep, the dice are right. Why would they get away with this? Can you imagine any other entity, any other group, any other 501c nonprofit, a church as an example, that could sit on a couple of hundred million dollars of tax free donations given to that entity? And then they used it to do things like buy three mansions. Millions, tens of millions of dollars doing so. And spending all this money elsewhere. 501c3 corporations are prohibited, expressly prohibited from getting involved in politics. And you just heard in that story, Black Lives Matter spent a bunch of money paying lobbyists for election stuff. If it doesn't do anything else, what that should do, it should destroy their tax free status because it is a direct violation of IRS rules. And I'm not saying it just to say it. I'm saying it because it's factual. It's factual. Wow. There's so many things going on that we can talk about. So many things out there that we need to talk about. This is only two hours. A lot When we started TNN Live, a lot of people, when they heard about it, they said, two hours, Dan. What are you going to talk about for two hours? How can you do that? I got to be honest with you. I, I, I had pause. I questioned it at the time. I really did. But in America right now, folks, there is so much stuff that is going on. So much stuff that's, some of it's bad. Some of it's good. A bunch of it is right in the middle. But it's impacting so many of us that it's it's getting easy to report on. And that's exactly what we've been doing. By the way, that's exactly what we're going to continue to do. Every Monday through Friday. promise you. 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. We'll be here for two hours. Be here tomorrow. And anytime you want to go grab a show which hundreds of thousands of people are doing, they miss it, they miss part of it, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Google, Stitcher, Facebook, at least till the end of the month on Facebook. We thank you for being part of it. Don't miss anything. And if you can, be back tomorrow morning live at 9 a.m. See you then.
4: That we should be together It's unbelievable How I used to say that I'd fall never The basis you need to know If you don't know just how I feel Then let me show you now that I'm real.